0: And that's Metallica, "Enter the Sandman." Definitely a fantastic song, and uh, enjoyed starting the show off with that. And and also Metallica is one of the favorite favorites of our guests in this Racing with Bruno podcast, the handicapping show, Scott Shapiro from Brisnet, and you can find him on Twitter. He works with CDI and on Twin Spires. You see him on Thursdays and Sundays. So what we did is we went out and we put an all points bulletin out for Scott Shapiro. Well, we put out an APB out for Scott Shapiro from Brisnet and a longtime friend. I remember having a beer over at uh, some little bar down in downtown Louisville, what seems to be moons ago, uh, Maybe 2012 uh, here in, uh, in Kentucky with, with Scott Shapiro. And uh, now I get to see him on my television and talk about handicapping and, and sports. And uh, that APB came to fruition. And here he is. We found him, Scott Shapiro.
1: <laughs> Good to be with you, man. Yeah, I think that was after uh, I was at Keeland for like a week and that was the last day. And I drove to Louisville, never know. And I would live here. Uh, at any point, let alone uh, soon, somewhat soon thereafter, I think it was that bourbon, uh, that bourbon bar right across from the Yum Center. We hung out at.
0: Yeah, it was. It was right by the uh, the, the bridge. Yep. Uh, yeah, you guys were well hidden in a uh, very, uh, very secluded spot. But uh, I think Matt was with us. Yeah, right? yep. Matt Milligan. Matt
1: Milligan at track side. Yep. Yeah, whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Hey, uh, first of all, let's tell people a little bit about you. Tell us where. What do you do? Where Where are you at? And where do we see you?
1: Yeah, um, I live. I'm in Louisville now, and I work for Churchill Downs Inc., which includes a lot of different parts of the company. You mentioned Briznet, the data source uh, where your work reports are found, in addition to your website. Uh, a lot of my work is done for Twinspires.com, who um, the ADW, obviously, and the sponsor for Churchill Downs today, and the whole simulcast. Uh, product, um, and I'm on there two days a week, Ed DeRosa on the other two with uh, host Joe Christofek. And then uh, I'm also uh, part of the Bet America team that we do horse racing and sports, and that's another CDI online gaming product um, that kind of started when the sports thing uh, did in early, or what is it, mid-2019, I guess. So uh, bounce around all parts of it, and uh, but this time of the year, pretty locked into Churchill Downs Racing, which is exciting.
0: You spent some time in California too, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I moved here from California. I lived in California from uh, 2015 to 20, I guess 18. Moved here right before the Derby in 2018, and I had another stint there uh, the previous de- uh, decade, about 2003 to 2007. But the second, uh, the most recent one was uh, in Orange County, between Del Mar and Santa Anita, uh, far from both places, but not too far to make the day trips.
0: Where did you live in Santa Ana?
1: I lived in. Um,
0: I mean, I sat in Orange County and you said Santa right? No, I lived
1: in Aliso Viejo, which was like you probably. Know yeah, I know where that Island, is. Five yeah. miles inland from Laguna Beach.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I, I spent most of the career there and I lived in yep. Huntington Beach and Orange County has always got a special place in my heart. Except those three-hour drives to San Anita and back.
1: <laughs> Huntington Beach <laughs> was uh, uh, the the driving there was. You'll never you're never gonna miss that. Huntington Beach was one of the. I, I never. I lived in San Diego for a while. Always heard how great the L.A. beaches were and San Diego beaches. Obviously, I knew about, but uh, I have to say, I mean, if I could live anywhere and not have to drive much, uh, Huntington Beach and uh, what's the one right? Uh, Newport Beach. Those are those are right. awesome awesome places. Where did you live in, in uh, San Diego? I lived in two different places. Like, when I moved there, I moved in with a couple of friends who lived in uh, Scripps Ranch. And then right. I uh, decided to move the, to the beach. And I lived in Ocean Beach for a few years. And it was a great place to live and study for my master's at San Diego State. But a uh, tough place to be super motivated.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, I grew up in San Diego. My whole family still lives there. If I could move back there and do what I do here, I would. But I uh, can't. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, what a great town, Um, you know, yeah, it is. And, uh, if you've not been to San Diego, have not visited San Diego, put it on your bucket list. And, um, what I used to do for Del Mar, Scott, I used to sit there and I used to rent out a, um, they used to have a, a company called Harbor vacations, which basically had about four or five yachts that they used as hotels and you could rent them out. So I would rent one of the 32 footers, Uh, For the whole summer. And it came to be just about the much as you would get a house in Del Mar. And um, so I would live on the water, live on on the boat and uh, go to Del Mar every day. And uh, that was, you know, we used to have bets on how much stuff I could drop over the side, you know, (laughs) It was like accidentally, you know, but anyway, that was the best. Um, yeah.
1: Gone to Del Mar every day in that weather when I live there or close to every day or, you know, part of it, that those are some, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the best experiences, both racing and living that, uh, that I'll ever have.
0: And it's amazing what, where racing takes us. doesn't it? It is.
1: It is. Yes. I live in Kentucky, you know, I never thought it would come.
0: Yeah. Right. And you're working for the, for CDI. And, you know, I'll tell you the thing that, that sometimes bother me. Uh, CDI gets a bad rap by some people. Um, I, uh, I, sometimes I just wonder if people are not just, they're you know, they're just blurting things out emotionally rather than just looking at it objectively. Because I think CDI really tries to go out and do the right thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a business. So there's going to be times where the business decision has to be made. But... Um, you know, I, I see a lot of criticisms, uh, obviously, um, you know, I think highly of the company. They, they've taken the, uh, the initiative to bring me on and put me in a role that I, you know, kind of dreamed of being in when I started doing this. And even as a kid, you know, being on, being on the, the simulcast feed for the Kentucky Derby and just being able to wake up with just about every day and handicap horse races. So it's hard for me, to be critical. And, you know, a lot of the things that people criticize, maybe they don't have the true story of, but, you know, people are allowed to their opinions and uh, you know, if they're the consumer, especially.
0: You mean to tell me that on, on social media, people don't have all the whole story.
1: I, you know, this, Justin, this, Justin Bruno,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know, my favorite one is when they go, Oh, well, you know, they put the Derby on Labor Day and, they didn't check with NYRA for the, you know, for 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 Saratoga, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I run my business. I don't call anybody to check in if I can do something or not.
1: I'm pretty sure that there's been a lot of communication, whether people believe it or not. You know, just from uh, reading between the tea leaves. But uh, you know, I, I, people are going to criticize Churchill. People are going to criticize Naira. People are going to criticize, you know, the big entities in horse racing and. They're gonna criticize
0: everything, everyone that walks, talks, and moves. You
1: know, it's kind of interesting when I think about it. You know, you, before social media, I never realized people were so upset all the time. You know, but uh, uh, they were they were drinking. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's a better way to take it out than maybe what the alternative was—certain was people yeah. at home yeah. in person or something. Now they drink. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let let me ask
0: you, what do you think about the Derby on on September 5th?
1: I mean, obviously it's, you know, going to be different. Um, The lead up to that first Saturday in May, I think I heard you say it maybe and and other people say it um, in other recordings, but just, you know, it's kind of that genius time where the horses are just starting to peak. It takes a certain skill from both the horses, the trainer, to to build up to that date. But I think given all of the uh, options, um, I think it's going to turn out to be pretty cool. It'll be a once in a lifetime event. Uh, there won't be anything like it, so I feel like the right thing is to embrace it, handicap it, maybe find a way to take advantage of it from a from a uh, wagering perspective. Um, but it's certainly going to be unique, and you know, kind of try. I know you're not a big fan of the the Derby lists and things like that, but part of my job <laughs> to do so, and it's just a real challenge now because. You know, these horses are going to stop and start or maybe they're not. Or, you know, you know, when I when you're when you're wagering on futures and Kentucky Derby, you know, the the idea to me is to, you know, project where they'll be first Saturday in May. And now it's a different projection.
0: Well, since you brought it up, um, you're a gambler. I know I, I, I know you. I know you well enough that I know you put your money through where your mouth is. And if you know anything about me, I'm the same way. I really don't like to waste my time on something I can't make money on. And that's my point with lists because lists is all about ego and it's all about bragging rights. And last time, and I'll give you a chance to give me a rebuttal or, you know, put in your two cents. Um, But last I looked bragging rights doesn't do anything to your (laughs) bank
1: account. I I think for our purposes on Derby.com, it's you know Joe, Ed, me, James, Vance, uh, James Scully, Vance Hansen, and Kelly Riley. I think it's done more for talking points than anything else, and getting starting the conversation. Um, I've come around to the idea for a little while there. I, I kind of thought it was an exercise that was a little bit you know not worthwhile or just you know whatever. But I think it's more about starting the conversation and presenting conversations. Um, and then I guess you could make, you know, the argument with these future wager pools that people could take our top 10 list or your own top 10 list and, you know, make a fair line on what those should be and make wagers based on that.
0: OK, I'll buy that. That's a great argument right back. I love that. Well, done. <laughs> you know, um, Yeah, and, and you're right. It is about it. It is about a talking point. It is about um uh, from you guys' standpoint, you know, all the gentlemen that you mentioned, you're right. All it does is bring people to check to see who you have on your list and see if they don't have it. And uh, I, I thoroughly bow down. I bend the knee on that one to you, Shapiro. You, you know, you're right about that. It is a talking point. It is a marketing tool. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not a big future book better. But I would take the future book over the list because at least then I could be able to make some money um, by picking the right horse. And I will tell you, there's still one that sticks in my in my in my throat. One future book bet. Would you like to know what that is? And you can tell and you
1: can tell me yours. Sure.
0: That's what I'm talking about.
1: When was that? Trying to think. <laughs> I believe it had to be. I'm trying to think. I
0: can't. Is it 2003? Um, it was a Ron right. Ellis. Right,
1: Ron course. Ellis. That's right.
0: And David Flores wrote yep. him. And And um, I'm trying to. That's uh, now I'm trying to spell it. That's what I'm <laughs> talking about. Uh, um, but.
1: I had to do it though.
0: Yeah, and, you know, now... I'm going to find Ron Ellis. Uh, Derby, right, right. But he was a horse that was very impressive, went to the Kentucky Derby, and David Flores rode him. I had 200 to win on him, and I had him, I think, around 18 to 1. He went off at around 6 to 8. I can't remember what he went off at, uh, but he made this huge run, and at the top of the lane... Flores rode them right up on heels and had to take up. Lost all chance. And uh, that's my hard luck, bad beat story from future books.
1: Well, About with you, future Shiro. book wagers, it's like, you know, the bad beats are even more accentuated because it's such a long haul route. You know, whether it's a sports one or racing one, whatever, you're following this potentially for months and months. You get there for a Kentucky Derby or a horse racing future wager, a lot of times you're way in advance. The goal is just to get there and be at, you know, half the price or you know a quarter of the price and get your money in good, and then you get a bad trip. So uh that's two
0: thousand three. He finished yeah. fourth. Two thousand three. Okay. That would have been Empire Maker. Peace rules and Funny Side, I
1: right? I uh, wasn't. I thought Funny Side was t- 2004. Let's see here. You might be right.
0: Um, I know. I'm. I know. We're. We're. We're like. He was in a son of AP Indy,
1: my favorite um, horse of all time. Yeah,
0: and um, unfortunately, that's what I'm talking about. It had to be put down after having um uh, colic later on that year. So he never got to show, but I saw him from day one before he ever even started like AP Indy. And, um, but it's just kind of interesting, you know. So it tell me, you know what? We're doing sorry, I, I didn't
1: this. want to interrupt you, but funny side is you, you were right. It's the funny side, Empire Maker piece rules. He finished fourth. So sorry about that. You,
0: so tell me about your bad beat. In I
1: future. don't know if I have a specific bad beat, but I'd say the one that. That I'm rem- reminded of Kentucky Derby wise is, is not necessarily a bad beat, but more just circumstantial. But I had Lemon Drop Kid to win the Derby. Oh, you're going? Yeah, back this is ways. one of my, maybe one of my first ever future bets of any kind. And I know you know it was one of those bets that I made well before, long before the race, and kind of didn't really think I had any chance to ever to ever hit it, went off at a pro, what didn't get in good. I think he went off a bigger price, or he went off a big, big price in the Derby. But then he turns around and wins the Belmont. That was a charismatic. That was 1999. Yep, 1999 is correct. And it's not like I thought Lemon Drop Kid was a Derby contender when he went in the gate. He was, you know, I don't want to call him an also-ran. He was a pretty good horse, but I think he won the Futurity and didn't win a race of significance until the Belmont. Then he ended up having a good 2000. He won the, the Whitney and the Woodward and the, and the Suburban. I think he won all three of them. But, uh, but Can you
0: believe he's a turf horse? Yeah.
1: King Mambo. I, I think that was my thing. I remember being like in this is like, you know, I, I started following horses probably 91, but, you know, this was a, a surge and I started looking at pedigrees maybe in the mid to late nineties. And I remember just being infatuated with king mambos and that was part of the reason i fell in love with this horse
0: let's talk about handicapping uh poppy people are going you two stop your bs and then give me some (laughs) angles uh let's talk about some handicapping angles scott you're you're a pretty sharp handicapper i listen to you every day and you know uh, whenever you're when you're on i'll listen to you on sunday um, and you came up with a couple uh, nice shots. Good call on, uh, I think you had, um, Juggernaut didn't win Temple city turn. Good call. That horse exploded in the lane. Um, so very good call. Thank you. And, um, Tell us about some angles that you follow.
1: Well, the, my favorite races, if, if, if I could, and obviously it's not p- possible in any way, but but maiden special weights, especially two turns on the turf, are, are some of the, my favorite races. Or just, you know, young horse maiden races, special weights particularly. Um, I really enjoy, because two things, I, I like, first and foremost, I like being able to play against horses that kind of lack a will to win and they can be found in N2Ls and N3Ls and, and later in their careers after being winners they kind of lose that fight but at the maiden level you get really the best opportunity to beat short priced versions horses that run second and third four or five starts in a row maybe they had trouble maybe they didn't but then you have these first you know you have first time starters in my in my case even more uh m- more, uh, more, I really prefer betting second time starters over first timers. If I can horses that maybe showed a little ran in spots, maybe showed speed and faded or made middle moves that maybe other people don't see or don't realize how, uh, how much they can move forward off of those. And if you get those type of horses, those lightly raced horses facing off against horses that have had a number of chances, you're generally going to get pretty good price sometimes a great price. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the videos, uh, the more, you know, intermediate handicapper can see the same as the advanced handicapper on video. Sometimes they can't, but that's the angle, the, the major angle that I think I do best with combining that with, you know, somewhat of a use of pedigree. Of course, I like to use your information at the track you're at when clocking, kind of getting a feel for, you know, not a guy that really cares much about the time of a work, but just a feel for, you know, the, the body language. Um, but I feel like you can combine a lot of the assets and a lot of the knowledge that I might have over others and also not deal with the computer players quite as much because they don't have as much data on, on maidens.
0: Um, the computer players are interesting. i um, you know, you brought, uh, we had a discussion with Roger Satina about that, but, um, so when you're looking at maids and, uh, you know, it, I'll give you a great example. You watch Gulfstream and. And I and I think some of the. Uh, you watch Gulfstream and you'll see a lot of horses go main 16 to 12, five, winners of two. To me, as a handicapper. That's almost a lateral move. Yep. However, a lot of people believe that's dropping in class. My question to you, can you drop in class out of a maiden claiming
1: race? No. And I mean, I think that's something that you, I mean, each, I'd say each circuit and especially when you're moving between circuits, it's it's tricky, but you have to have a good feel for, um, for the situation. But no, I, I, that is not a drop in class, but that's certainly something that at time in my life, I would have thought was a drop in class, but, that's kind of a lateral move, right, in your eyes? Um, if you're going
0: from a maiden forty down yeah, to a twelve yeah. five, to a twelve five, yeah. But I see a lot of, you know, like there's some races on because uh, I also yeah. do the Gulfstream for uh, the uh, yeah. Churchill and Gulfstream for for racing with Bruno, and uh, there was a horse going from twelve five to uh, maiden claimers down to. Sixty-two-five non-winners two. He's going from a, really, in reality, if you really take a look at all the, the class and you put them on a, in a pyramid, and the two bottom levels at at right. stream park, and, I, and I've got Joe all over me. I've got I got half of my hand <laughs> in Joe's mouth. I've got the other hand holding the microphone, right. It's pretty funny to see right now. And and he loves this. I get started doing these podcasts and he decides that he wants to be, (laughs) you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do one podcast with Joe and it's going to be just me talking and you can hear him panting (laughs) in the background. That'll be the podcast. Um, So, um, and if you draw a pyramid and you fill in the class levels, I've done this actually in the past and what I've done, I've used PARs. The two lowest levels at at Gulf Street Park are the sixty five two two five non winners of two lifestyles and the ten to right. twelve thousand dollar main claimers. They're on the same park, so it's there's nowhere to park, go, right? I mean, there's no and there, you know, where, where are you gonna go? You know, five thousand at where? You know, at the Greyhound track that's no longer there. Uh, so it, it it's interesting. A lot of people talk about class, but Sometimes it's – I used to uh, put them on a graph, and I would be able to compare a Turfway Park race for $25,000 horses to, a, to a, not, an allowance non-winners other than at, at Thistledown. And most of the time, you get a horse coming in from Thistledown who got beat three straight times in allowance uh, non-winners other than going to Turfway Park for 25000 Well, that's, say that's dropping interesting in class. that you
1: bring that up because there's a <laughs> couple horses in the, and I'm mixing up Thursday and Friday for Churchill because I've been capping them together. But but there's like maiden special weight uh, runners from Will Rogers coming in and running at, I think, you know, 30 or 40, whatever it is, at Churchill. And some people might look at that as a drop, but I certainly am not. But I think when it comes to dropping in, in class or, or raising, you know, a lot of it has to do with intent, and a lot of it has to do with the barn. Some of these barns are willing. To, they know they don't have a superstar. They want to win. And they're not worried about losing a horse like that, so they're going to put them in where they belong, you know?
0: Well, let me – you know, I, I know exactly the horse you're talking about. It's running tomorrow.
1: Yeah. The horse
0: spun easy yeah. from Michael Ewing. And I looked at that. And and that horse I think came off a layoff and ran. pulled and it up Rogers right here, and, and ran around two. That
1: turns. is, let's see, race. What is it? Race seven?
0: I think it's five or six, something like that.
1: Um, yeah, I don't, it's race. Actually, but, race. What eh, kidding? It's race. <laughs> now, that's not the horse. that's race eight, but he is coming from Will Rogers. It it actually is the same point. It's an allowance, or it's the same general point. He's coming out of an allowance, N1X, April 15th at Will Rogers, off a significant layoff, off of five months almost. And now he dropped, he quote-unquote dropped in for 30 N2L.
0: Which the Don Winters of 2 lifetime is really interesting. Because now that makes that race really worth around 16 to 20. And you have to wonder... In that allowance race at Will Rogers, if I pull up the past performances, which we have, how many multiple winners did that horse face? So when you look at the two races, you can't sometimes just look at right. the nomination of the race. And, you know, and um, as we talk, um, as we talk, um, I have a way to be able to go in and and pull up all uh, these races. So what I'm going to do, just so what was the date of the Will Rogers uh, race? April
1: 15th, race six.
0: All right, let's see what we got here. All right, I've got the, uh, let's see, race six here. And that was right. just an allowance, twenty thousand
1: dollars or so. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. So you got to. I've got to go to another screen, and be able to try to find that. Um, but um, but that just makes it really, really interesting because if there was four, or five different multiple winners in there, that is, the, or, or the conditions of the race is really what you got to wonder about. Um, and 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 here's another point. How much do you put in the conditions of the race? I
1: think you have to read the conditions of the race first and foremost. And I hear a lot of people that don't understand, you know, maybe higher level beginners, lower level intermediates that don't still kind of, I mean, it's tough. They they keep adding different conditions so they can fill some of these races at some place. But you got to know that. Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's, nuts, it's intense. It's you got to read them, but you can't fall in love with them. You know, and You know, it, it's obviously, or maybe not obviously, but, I, and it sounds like you tend to give extra credence to horses that are multiple winners, even if it's against lesser competition because it shows a will to win and, and, um, and have that fight maybe, you know, um, but, you know, being fast enough to win a race is important too. So if you're winning a number of, uh, you know, low level claiming races and then move into an allowance event with a couple really fast horses that, may not have the experience. Well, you know, that's a tough thing to decipher, but you're going to have to be able to, you know, keep up to win. So
0: listen to the condition for spun easy on April 15th, race okay. six of Will Rogers downs Phillies and mayors, three-year-olds and upward, which have never won a race other than maiden claiming a starter or Oklahoma State bred allowance, or which have never won so three there's, races. So, so
1: there's some Oklahoma breds potentially in there that have multi, many wins, right?
0: Uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking up right now. So now you have a horse that, uh, first of all, it's right. facing elders. And, and uh, the way it looks, um, Spun Easy was only one of, uh, uh, of two okay. three-year-olds in the race. Um, the winner, the winner only has like three lifetime point. wins now. Yes. It won, uh, it won a claiming race at Sam Houston. It won the allowance, of course, at Will Rogers and had it broken its maiden of fairgrounds and main special. So when you look at that condition and now that, I, I haven't that picked on top, second,
1: I believe. believe. Or, or, sorry
0: that horse won, that horse won on, five furlongs on the turf at Sam Houston back in February. Uh, and in the non-winner, uh, actually, that Philly won the non-winners of two races for 30,000 at Sam Houston, which is almost near the top for that track as far as claimant price. And she won by five and a half. And then she dropped and then she, she runs into a, it uh, looks more like a starter allowance race for really non-winners of two races at Will Rogers. Yeah, she, she
1: fits really well in this, and she did make a good move on that in the far turn in that race. So it would be interesting. I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, will listen to this after that race happens. So number four, Spun Easy Race 8 at Churchill. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm looking at to see how this say, But that's a little bit of sometimes how – I'll, 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 you know, I will look at a race, um, and, and trying to get an idea, um, of, and the second place horse was a Steve Asmussen horse that was eligible for non-winners of two, uh, and, um, oh, uh, Kentucky bread, but that's really interesting to me, you know, um, it, the conditions of the race, uh, what they do. And when you look at that race, it makes it for, A very interesting, because you've got worse. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's what's one of the the biggest
1: challenges the early part of this Churchill Downs spring meet. You have, let's see, one from Addison, who's one of the logicals from Gulfstream. You have a horse from uh, Mahoning Valley, Channel Princess, a Churchill Down. let's see, a horse that hasn't run since Churchill Fall for Barry King. I mean, every single horse is coming from a different track in this race, to be honest. You got a Kabisky from Colonial (laughs) from August. You got a Turfway Park horse for Byron Hughes. You have an Aqueduct horse for Rudy. A Belterra horse off the bench for Noah Platt. Yeah. Oh, and then you got two from Oaklawn Lady McKenzie and Murak. So, I mean, that's a challenging puzzle for sure.
0: How do you handle it when you're handicapping horses coming from
1: uh, different. In this situation or just in general? Um. Well, the only difference I'd say is because of the the pandemic. it's just kind of made it a little bit less clear. a lot of them are coming off layoffs or you've been, been trying to work it out but but in general, i mean i'm I'm a visual guy first. I go back, I watch a lot of replays, but I use a couple products um, data as kind of my backup or my one a I use optics eq um, and I use uh, I look at the rags la the the sheets last. Um, I'm not a big buyer or you know, speed, rate. I don't even see the buyers cause I will use brisnet, but I feel like that's the number one speed rating. So, um, but I use the rags more for, for patterns and things like that. I can see it a little bit better for form cycles, but it's tough. It's tough, Bruno. You've got to be careful falling for pitfalls, but, um, yeah, I would say those two products kind of help me decipher between the two tracks after I've done my pace kind of pace work where I'm look, trying to figure out if I, you know, what, what i how I visualize the race first. And then, you know, if there's horses that I think the running lines don't do justice.
0: And when you talk about uh, running lines that don't do justice, we're going back into kind of an angle here. What do you look for in a running line? When it, uh, let me see, what don't you like uh, in a running line when you're first and and foremost, I like
1: using kind of going back to that maiden angle a little bit, but horses that like to run second, and third, and fourth a lot and do so regularly, whether they have trouble or not. Some of these horses create their own trouble a lot, but, but more so just when horses run their race and don't win, um, is the first thing that I try to use against the public. I would say in past performances, the public as a whole, you know, generalizing will, will tend to use horses that run second and third, um, over horses that, Maybe tried to win the race and finished fifth. Um, and then the other thing is those middle moves. You can catch middle moves that barely, because of the way the past performances and the running lines are written in the past performances, you can catch middle moves that hardly show up on paper, especially if they're on the back stretch. You know. Um, and then the third thing is being careful not to overvalue traffic. That's obvious. Um, especially horses that get off to slow starts. I think I, I listened to your podcast with Roger and you mentioned this, you know, horses that consistently come out of the gate poorly. That's not, you know, or even the first time, and you might be able to kind of foresee that happening again. Um, you want to avoid those horses. You don't want to make rules. that, Oh, well this horse, when he comes out or he or she comes out of the gate, he's going to, you know, going to be tough to beat. Well, maybe that's uh maybe that's a pattern. Maybe that's something that you can forecast that the average person can't
0: when you talk about uh value what do you um
1: I don't make your own line I don't make my own line for one reason I don't bet a lot to win a lot um you know I've made morning lines or I've made fair value lines for work stuff in the past haven't done it recently but I guess the way I think about value this day and age, the way I play is mostly in a, in a horizontal setting. Um, I want to try to be somewhat contrarian, at least on my, on my pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. Um, So there could be, so for instance, there could be two, three to ones, but in a sequence, they're not, they're not created equal. There's a three to one in a 10 horse field, three to one favorite, but there's, five horses that are between, you know, seven to two and, and eight to one and everybody's spreading in the race. So that three to one is included with five other horses, making it probably on most people's tickets, um, you know, other horses on most people's tickets. And then there's a the three to one that's the second choice in a seven horse field with a, a four to five, a three to one, and then everybody else is eight or 10 to one. And most tickets are either going to single the four to five or go too deep using the four to five and the three to one. So that's kind of where I think of value. That's just sometimes I I criticize myself for being so caught up in the horizontal game with these pick fours and pick fives, but it's kind of the way my brain works these days when I'm considering value.
0: You've been around a while. Sometimes when you look at a board, you can immediately spot the horses out of whack. Uh, For example, when I do my handicap, like I was doing the uh, right before I called you, uh, I finished up the Gulf Street for tomorrow. And there's a couple of there's a one IRAD that's uh, at eight to one on the morning line. And my comment is, we'll never, ever be eight to one delusional morning line. And but there's people that attach a value yep. to that horse because of that morning line. Can I make the argument that morning lines are useless?
1: You could make the argument, but here's why they're well, here's why where they're useful. A people handicap a night before, day before, two days before, handicap that race. I don't I haven't handicapped it, but just you know, I can talk to speak to it. Handicap that race and fall in love with the fact that they like an eight to one, right? So a lot of people might put their bets in, maybe they're going to work, especially if it's a Thursday afternoon. You know, you see these kind of horses with the bad morning line so often open up nine to five, they might drift up to three to one, seven to two. But so there's that money in there. And where they're really the eight to one matters more than you think is in the back end of horizontal wagers, where if you like the horse, that's where to attack. Because there, yeah, there's definitely point. people that point. would be less likely to at least single an eight to one in the back end. But, but B, you know, they're going to use people a lot of times will use the logicals in races and maybe that one will get left out or maybe when it's used, it's used in deeper environments. So that's not everybody, but I do think that's, that's where you can find value if you're looking for bad morning lines and how to attack them when you know the the, the win price isn't going to be nearly what you expect. Yeah.
0: It, it, it's all a feel. And I think people try to... To work the data and to work the numbers and their in their uh, in their corner to their advantage. But one thing that we've learned through this whole COVID nineteen thing that you can manipulate data. You can manipulate the data. You can make it look like the way you want it to look like. You can change numbers. So when you really when horse players. I, I I really when I asked you if I could say that a morning line is useless, can sure. I have an addendum to that? A morning line is useless if it is done incompetently. <laughs> it, it has to be if if you're going to rely on data on 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 a morning line on a value like that, that value has to be competent and correct before you can make an assumption using that data. If I told you if I told you that the earth is flat you would have to do data on a flat surface. It would be wrong. So (laughs) my whole point, that was a bad point by the way people forget I just made that (laughs) The earth is flat. Don't even argue with me. What the hell was that? The earth is flat and I gave you data. Yeah. Hey, yeah. It, was kind of, it was kind of cute, wasn't it? Just say yes. Just say yes and let's move on. Uh, but it, it, it just, you have to have competence within that value of that line to actually be able to make any, 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 valuable i i
1: think i think i agree I, I think there's what I kind of said is a way to take advantage of a, of a of a poor morning line but um yeah I mean there's some tracks you know I know in a lot of these places um a lot of tracks some especially smaller ones the guys that do the guys or, or women that do the morning line are doing a lot have a lot on their plate it's not a goal to be hundred percent sharp you know they're not the you know, to be, to do a good morning line, you've got to kind of be, have a real good feel for what's going on. Not just, you know, you have to be able to handicap, but you also have to be kind of on the backstretch or at least, you know, listening to clockers like yourself, kind of know who's working out well, because the thing is, is that other people are, the betters are. So if you don't know, if you can't put yourself in the minds of the larger betters or the public, you're just not going to be able to do it as well as others. So I agree. I I struggle sometimes with with morning lines not being as as good as I'd like to think, but I guess what I've come to the conclusion of now is it's my job to know that that horse isn't going to be eight to one and just block it out of my head unless I'm trying to take advantage, like I said, in the the back end of a horizontal.
0: By the way, you can tell I I went to school in the 70s and early 80s because that's the kind of problem you would get in your algebra class. (laughs) If the world was flat, how long that flatness would it be? You know, like, I remember sitting there, and, you know, if I would have had a racing form, I think I would have passed algebra, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you know, it's like, you know, you know if somebody asks you, hey, uh, can you use pace in a sentence? Yes, pace always wins when it gets a lonely lead, you know? I mean, come on. <laughs> so, but, uh, so, the first couple of days of Churchill, okay. What's your thoughts about the track uh, and overall? Um, racing well, first, first off, I days? mean, it's
1: been in terms of the quality of racing, it, it's awesome um, to see Churchill, Kentucky racing in general flourishing. You know, um, A, I mean, with the purses going up, uh, attracting different barns, attracting full fields, um, both dirt and turf is great. You know, I, I love that. And having, you know, this rare situation we're in where we have, you know, not only the, the, the quality jockey colony that we have, but we have, you know, Hall of Famers from New York in right and left, uh, some guys from California that some will probably stay, but maybe not all. And then you have, you know, all the big names and trainers just about, you know, you've got Chad Brown has 20-something stalls and Fletcher. So that's been great to see. It's exciting. It makes it for a very challenging analytical puzzle each and every day at this point um in terms of the way the track played the first uh couple days i think it was pretty clear that early on with the moisture uh you wanted to be prominently placed through the first i guess six or so races on saturday and then i thought starting with dinar and then uh the, the nice looking winner for Cherie devoe and then uh after that you had uh the, the sacred oath from catalan or uh, sorry uh, it was Catalano, kind of Diodoro come from well out of it? I thought it started to play more fair, and I thought Sunday, I thought both courses played uh, played fair. How, what did you think?
0: Um, I thought Speed won early in the in, uh, on the card when it was wet, and then as that the, the track uh, dries out, which Churchill yeah, is like Gulfstream, they dry out really fast. And um I, I didn't have a problem with it. I did have a problem with the photo in the last race on Sunday. I think I put out a cuss storm of uh on Twitter uh after I got nosed out by an impossible horse. You had Mori horse, right? Um, but um you know
1: he's gonna win some races uh, here yes. and uh, pay some prices. This guy's yes. a good I, I know you know, but uh he's some
0: Well I went and watched the replay. I think <laughs> I, I pulled one out of the Shapiro handbook. And um, I went and looked at him, and um, I knew that Nick Hines had bought that horse at the sale, and they liked him a lot. He was supposed to win first time out, and he actually accelerated. looked like he was going to win the race, and Omaha Beach was behind him, and Omaha Beach wasn't keeping pace with him. And uh, that was the day that uh, he, uh, yeah, he was, on the, uh, yeah. was in the infield, and there were shots fired, and he went right. Um, and I lost a rider and obviously something happened. He was off for a year and a half, but that's, that was a nice horse. He was cut out to be a really nice horse. So I was still cussing on Monday morning. So the best thing I did, I went and got some salmon and Joe and I ate good that night. And by the way, if you hear crunching as I'm talking to you or while you were talking, Scott, it's not me. It's Joe. He pulled his little toy that he has food that he has to, like, circumnavigate to be able to get his food out. And he's got it right up underneath me. And he is (laughs) here. And I was wondering what it was. I mean, he is. (laughs) That's Joe. That's Joe. He is, you know, 60 pound husky. You don't tell him what to do, you know, and he's still a puppy. He's seven weeks old, seven months old. But, the you know, was a tough beat, it, man. That, that was at a at brutal all. beat, not no, only because but, uh, the horse
1: ran great, but the horse that beat, you know, the, the horse. I would have needed it at all to have the winner in that race. I would have. Yeah.
0: That horse never finished. I was I was screaming at the TV. Get by this horse, you know. But what do you do? We'll come up with some more of that. I got a couple for uh, Thursday that I really like. Uh, we talked about one of them spun easy. And just looking at the conditions kind of tells you a little bit about that. Let's move. Let's let's kind of move laterally within the gaming system. You are an avid sports uh, pronosticator. You love handicapping sports. College basketball basketball is is probably my
1: biggest kind of crush, if you will, um, because of the nature of the business and that most people only. Yeah, you know the the main consumers only uh, play college basketball in March. I don't get to spend quite as much time. I would be happy in life if I could just be a college basketball and horse hand, racing handicapper. Um, but the NFL is is important to me, and obviously is the big uh, the big you know the big game in town. Uh, I like college football, and then I really gotten into handicapping PGA golf. So those are kind of the uh, the ones that I that. You know, along with horse racing, depending on the time of the year, fit into my, uh, you know, my working and in my calendar.
0: Well, I want to congratulate you. You went. Ah, uh, I dominated. You Couldn't lose. Couldn't lose. <laughs> Could you then not lose at March Madness? Well, let let let's talk about. Um, I, I you know, hey, be a great title for your for your for your handicapping Shapiro's Crush. <laughs> you know, on a horse yeah. that you on, or on a uh, basketball game you like. Um, how do you think, uh, first of all, sports betting is going to get big this year. And I really kind of laugh at some of these states that are still trying to figure out how to get it done. Uh, because once the NFL starts, once you get back in, into baseball, uh, sports yeah, betting I mean, it is going to go it, through the roof. You know,
1: sports betting's always been huge. You know, we've known that for a long time, especially those that lived on the East coast. But, you know and, and uh but it was illegal. you know you have the illegal market still, but now with it being legal, you'll have more people turning to that market, and then you know the the segment of the population that wasn't comfortable betting illegally will will also bet um and it's just gonna get bigger and bigger in the pro- you know you you mentioned states that aren't signed on yet or haven't passed it and my guess is uh, the ones that are very close to doing it are going to be pushed over the edge because obviously the economies aren't going to be as good. So it's a way to make extra money. I think most places were coming around to it anyway. Um, Kentucky, a state that has not passed it yet, we'll see. But the problem is, Bruno, is that people are just going to Indiana. Well,
0: well, well, wait a minute. You brought up Kentucky. I would. I understood that Kentucky's passed it. They're just trying to figure out how to, how to, uh, yeah. when we say pass it, you I mean, actually go through the government. Hasn't sports betting passed in Kentucky, but they're trying to figure yeah, out. I mean, that's part of it. I think it might've gone it.
1: through one house. Maybe this one, one, one part of the government, it was a bill was signed or something like that. So it's definitely not a dead thing, but the problem, you know, there's, 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 uh there's thought there's, there's businesses and such that probably don't want to pass. And there's parts of the, you know, different sides. It's all political, but, um, but the bottom line is you're right. There's how to do it, whether it's going to be and only in racetracks or whether it's going to be online and things like that. And each state has, has done different things. They just opened New Jersey is where it was first legalized. Um, it's kind of the wild West there in a good way. It's good for the consumer, good for the better, lots of different options, pretty much a free, free market. You have places where there's monopolies like I believe Montana just opened and there's only one place to bet and it's terrible for the consumer. And then there's a lot of places in between Colorado just opened. It's very much like New Jersey. So it remains to be seen, you know, when Kentucky will pass it and and how it will be implemented. But uh, we're not there yet in Kentucky. And, you know, people in Louisville, they drive across the bridge to Indiana and Indiana makes the buck, you know.
0: I, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to it. I already got my website set up. Uh, I'm not going to give the name. Uh, I already have a handicapper <laughs> set up. I'm going to have Joe handicapping for us. Uh, <laughs> kidding. I've got a couple of guys that are actually are showing showing down at town down at the bit, trying to. They sound like <laughs> Joe over here smashing on his kibble. Uh, you know, when it comes down to sports, but it's going to be really interesting. You know, I'm really looking forward to that. Where you can maybe incorporate sports betting with racing, uh, come up with some nice, you know, interesting parlays and things like that. That would, that, that could really. Yeah, it'll be, it's a matter it's of how much correctly. the
1: sports entities want to do that. And if so, I, you know, personally, I would love that to be able to, especially in contests and things, you know, there's not, there's some guys that do both, you know, but not, not that many, you know, I mean, the especially, uh, You know, there's some older guys, but there's not a lot of guys, younger guys that do both. I guess my age group, your age group, for sure, um, have bet sports and horses. But it would certainly be an opportunity that I would like a shot at to combine the two and stuff.
0: I'm just interested in it. You know, I've never been a big sports better, believe it or not. Um, I I have sat back and watched many games and said right before the game, I would I would play this i'll tell you what i do love and i'm gonna put this invitation up for you every nfl season we run a racing with bruno uh, fantasy league um and it's through yahoo and it's just for fun there's no prizes there's no money <laughs> boo i hear that all the time but but it's fun and i find doing fantasy football it started with my family doing one together um and we would all the brothers and the nieces and the nephews and and the whole family would get together and we would have our own league we still do it's called uh it's the uh, uh it's like out to the justice hall <laughs> remember the old cartoon with all the superheroes i I'm, I'm captain america thank you very much yeah so um i i rule that flat earth of justice league for the the Giulio family uh, And uh, But I'm going to extend my invitation, and I'll get a hold of you once football season starts.
1: I've played fantasy football since 1985. My dad got in a league. I was 11 years old. It was the year after Dan Marino threw for the record-breaking 48 touchdowns, I remember. And, uh, I I mean, fantasy football is one of my favorite passion topics. It's it's fun.
0: It's fun on the weekend, isn't it? to sit down with your teams and see who's doing good, yep. who's doing well. You have NFL Red Zone on uh, and then you got racing on the other channel. I get like three TVs going. My two favorite tracks and NFL Red Zone, you know? So uh, it's definitely a good time. And so my invitation is out to you for, to play in our Racing with Bruno um, uh, 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 Fantasy League. Uh, uh, as we wind down I want to uh, have you tell people again uh, how to, where to find you and, um, and where they can see your handicap or the work that you yeah, do you for, uh, for Brisbane. best place to find me is, of
1: course, on Twitter, Bruno's Favorite Place, at ScottShap34. Um, and then for the Churchill Downs meeting, my picks are up every day for every race, ChurchillDowns.com, under the expert picks, along with Joe Christofek and Ed DeRosa. And then during the non Churchill um, and and all my content I'll I'll always post on Twitter, but uh, when, you know, Keeneland, Saratoga, Oakland that time of Gulfstream uh, I write some blogs for the twinspires.com blog, a little bit for brisnet. Um, But uh, if you follow me on Twitter and go to the churchilldowns.com site now, you'll, you'll see just about everything I'm involved in, whether it's videos and, and of course, Every Thursday and Sunday of the uh, spring meeting, I'll be on the uh, simulcast feed, uh, giving my thoughts uh, before the day on Churchill Downs today and then before each race. And that was a very
0: sarcastic. My favorite place to be is on Twitter. I I have to say I have to be honest. There's really I'm always I always speak my mind. So if you don't like it too bad, you can actually stop listening to the podcast out there but i i there's some great people i i love some of the friends that i made on twitter but sometimes i get so sick of of the 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 fake accounts attacking people negativity ugliness that it just makes me want to just shut down the account the only reason i'm on there is to promote what we do we have a brand and to keep in touch with people like you scott because i really enjoy your you're, uh, you're, you know, that's I appreciate I it. And, you know, and I definitely get frustrated with Twitter, but I
1: have to say before I opened a Twitter account, I didn't even know anyone in the racing community. I used to go to the racetrack from 1991 to 2013, follow it at home, whatever it might be. I had a couple of friends that I talked racing with. So it opened up the whole world and, and it's turned into a career for me instead of a uh, intense hobby um, and meeting people like you. I remember meeting you, very early in my Twitter time because someone, you know, I asked where I could get clocker information and you were suggested, but you know, as frustrating as it can be, it's, it's been uh, a treasure chest for me and it's hard for me to be too hard on it. But I, I definitely have days where I want to shut it down as well.
0: Well, I got to tell you though, you know, just thinking back about it and thinking back years, the days that I used to hang out at Santa Anita every day, (laughs) It was yeah, the same. Definitely, thing. you had to deal with morons at the track every day. You know, you you had to deal the you had to deal <laughs> with the cheeseburgers of the letter ride. You know, you know, you remember? I, I love where did you hang out? We had our cheeseburgers in San Anita. You know who? You... Oh God, we okay. I was over in the owner trainer area up in the clubhouse by the boxes most of the time. I I used to be up with the press box most of the time, and and. Sometimes I needed to get a fresh air from all, some of that hot air up there, and because uh, it was hot up there, it got hot up there, and um, you know, and I had to get downstairs. And but um, you know, you had your <laughs> cheeseburger, like and let it ride. Who do you like, Trotta? Who do you like? <laughs> and he's laughing. Of course, people would do that, you know. Oh, that, you know, that's one of my oh, favorite man. movies. Do you have a I favorite mean, that Christian has to racing? be the
1: favorite racing movie, right? I mean, what are the other options? Secretary? Oh, I mean, you know, you have the Sea Biscuit. Totally different though, right? I mean, just apples and oranges. Um, it's funny you said, Who Do You Like? Yeah. That's the name of my podcast. I'll have to have you on sometime soon, but it's called the Who Do You Like podcast. And it's kind of um, out of that same vein, like just people walking around the racetrack or the sports book, you know. Who do you like, man? Who do you like? And that's where I came up with the name of it. It's funny you said that.
0: I, 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 I didn't know. I had no idea. But it was just that when you think of Let It Ride, you think of that part with, with Cheeseburger walking up Trotta, you know, and, and asking him who he likes when he's in the $50 line. Yeah. And um, I just ran across that movie. I'm going to have to watch it again. Because, you know, you you come up with all these so lines, many you know. Lines. The best, nice the best idea, 30 you know, seconds David to a answer. minute
1: in horse race movie. It's not a <laughs> horse racing movie, but in Bronx Tale when, that, when the mush walks out. That's like, I mean, I. The mush.
0: <laughs> Kid Dynamite. Kid Dynamite. So How many true. times have you been at the track and a guy walks up to you and he says, I like, the, I like this horse. And you're looking at it going. <laughs> <laughs> that's my top pick of the day. I thought I was alone. This guy's got, I got no shot. You know how many times I got off of horses because of that? You know, when, when a guy came up or you could go to somebody who you knew was the mush, you could give them your picks. You knew they'd screw it up because that's what right. they did. But at least you said, Hey, I gave you a, a pick. I had a guy at Hollywood one time slap me in and uh, 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 actually punch me in the shoulder and give me your best bet of the day. And I said, okay. I like the four in the third. Well, I heard the three. I punched through <laughs> my back in the shoulder. I said, bet the three then. My four won. The three yeah. was up the track. But that's the fun stuff about it. That's the fun stuff about, you know, being at the track. Stuff like that. You know, where I, one time a guy was standing so close behind me, heckling me from, you know, right in my ear. I ended up turning around. He had a Coke right next to him. Right? And he's heckling me. And I just turned around and walked right into him, spilled his Coke all over him. You know? <laughs> And I went, oh, man, I'm sorry. Don't you realize I'm deaf in the right ear? <laughs> tell you what, you know what you and I need to do tonight or in the next couple of nights? We need to sit down and watch. I'm one. You do it at your home. I'll do it at my home. We'll social distance and we'll text each yeah. other with all the great lines in that movie, you know. So, but, um, but Scott, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, you can find the podcast uh, on any uh, Spotify where, where
1: I know yours is. I have it on Stitcher. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and, or you can just search Google for Who Do You Like Podcast. That's Who Do Ya Like Podcast. But, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, – it sounds up good. Twitter and it's on and my Twitter account every week. I post that. it every week. We do it normally every Thursday. Um during this meet, since I'm on the uh, simulcast feed on Thursdays, it'll be out on every Friday talking about the Saturday card. And Bruno de Julia will be on the Who You Like podcast soon talking exactly. about the earth
0: being flat. Hey, Scott, it's always really fun hanging out with you. The only thing missing of us, a, a couple of cocktails in our hands and just talking, you know, at, at a bar about race. Thanks for having podcasts. me, Bruno. It's the same way like it. Thank you, Scott. Have a great day.